invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Open your Bibles to Mark, chapter 5. I want to invite you to stand together as we read 20, the first 20 verses. Can you stand that long? We'll honor the Lord's Word as we stand together and read Mark 5, 1 through 20. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis and all, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Let's pray together. Lord, we believe your word and we know that this, this incident truly happened just as it is writ written. For Holy Spirit, you inspired this word. And now I pray that you would take this word and teach us, minister to us from it. Show us the great power of the Lord Jesus that's available to us today. For we all need change. We all need to be transformed. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our series, Beach Days, that is, the teachings and the testimony of Jesus Christ along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, I want us to consider the power that will transform your life. Mark 5 has been called the Bible home for incurables says Jerry Vines, former pastor of First Baptist Jacksonville. He said there are three cases given in this chapter, and if we were to read the whole chapter, you would hear the other two, which are absolutely, humanly speaking, incurable. There was, first of all, the man we just read about, the, the demon-possessed man, 
Second of all, you're introduced later on in the chapter to a diseased woman. And third of all, you're, you meet a man who is desperate for his girl, his daughter, but she died. All three of these would be considered impossible cases in the Lord's day and even in our day. For instance, the man here would be assigned today to a mental institution. The woman who was diseased would be assigned to a terminal care unit. And the girl would be buried in a cemetery. But when you put Jesus in the middle of those situations, something changes. Jesus plus anything equals power, equals victory, equals transformation. What is it that you need Jesus to step into today for you? What is it that you need the most help with right now? You say, well, I'm not demon-possessed. I hope not. But you may be afflicted with some sin that keeps besetting you over and over again. And you've tried and you've begged and you've pleaded with God, God, take this away from me. But it keeps haunting you and you keep giving yourself to it. Listen, you add that to Jesus and you'll find victory. You add Jesus to that and you'll find victory. Say, wait, Jesus shouldn't have anything to do with that. Oh, yes, he should. Jesus plus sin equals forgiveness, equals victory over sin. Jesus met a man here. This man was demon-possessed. He was the most wicked and despised person of that country. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. They tried. They tried to bind him even, but he would break free. He would cut himself with stones. He lived among the dead. This was an impossible situation. So I'm going to ask you again this morning, what is your impossible situation? What is it that you need Jesus to step into and transform and change in your life? You know, I think that we would look at these situations from a human perspective, a demon-possessed man. Maybe we wouldn't even use the term demon-possessed. Oh, that's not politically correct today. Nobody today is demon-possessed, right? <laughs> Wrong answer. Do you think the demons still can possess people today? Of course they can, but it's not politically correct to say that. We would put them in a mental institution and treat their symptoms. You look at a woman here who's, who's if, if we were to keep reading, she had gone to every doctor she could. She spent all of her livelihood on those doctors. And it says in verse 26 that she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She was terminally ill. We would have given up on her. We would have prayed for her, but in the back of our mind we were thinking, like we tend to think, yeah, but eventually she's going to die. Here comes a father, desperate for his sick little girl. We see later in the chapter these mourners that are around. They came with the word, don't bother the master anymore, your daughter's dead. Truly she had died. Then Jesus came and intervened and he said, she's not dead, but sleeping. And they mocked him. You see, that's how we approach things. So you take your impossible situation, whatever it is. It could be some addiction. 
It could be some besetting sin. It could be some financial obstacle. It could be some family member, some rebellious child, or, or a parent that's just, or a spouse that's gone astray. Whatever your impossible situation is, you tend to look at it as impossible. But you factor in Jesus, my friend, and He is the power that can transform your life. He is the power, the one and only power that can transform your life. Amen? There is no other. This man, here was a man who was desperately and hopelessly lost. He was possessed with so many demons, it could hold, it took 2,000 pigs to hold them. Not only was he demon-possessed with one, he was demon-possessed with over 2,000 demons. He had performed many wicked acts against himself and against others, and most of all against God. He was banned from society. He lived among death. He was completely overcome with evil. Maybe you say, I'm not like that, but I know somebody like that. And see, if, if we know somebody like that, again, the tendency is for us to think that's impossible. We can't do anything to help them. They're just going to have to go through life miserable, incurable. What can I do? And that's what society did to this man. But one day, he met Jesus, and his life was changed forever. Jesus rebuked those demons, sent them out of this man, and then we see in verse... Uh, later on in this chapter, we see evidence of the change in his life. It says he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's not running around like a madman, cutting himself anymore. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's calm. He's got his clothes on. He's not disrobed anymore. He's, he's clothed. It says he's in his right mind, no longer being controlled by demons. There was no doubt in the minds of those who knew him before that saw him now, that he was a changed man. He looked different. He thought different. And he acted different. This man's life was transformed because Jesus, he encountered Jesus. And it wasn't an accident. You see, it's not an accident that you're here today. It's not an accident that you're hearing this particular message on this day at this time in your life. It's not an accident. You see, it wasn't an accident that this man just happened to come up to Jesus. It wasn't an accident that Jesus just happened to cross the Sea of Galilee at the precise moment that this man happened to be there. There's no accidents in the kingdom of God. If God is sovereign, He orchestrates all things for His purposes, right? He orchestrated this. It was intentional for Jesus to cross the Sea of Galilee. It was intentional for Him to meet this demon-possessed man. You see, Jesus sees every one of us today. He sees the impossible situation that you're facing. He sees you. He knows it. And He's not here to condemn you. He's not here to um, rebuke you. He is here to call you to Himself. He's here to free you. He's here to transform your life in whatever area you need transformed. This man was so radically changed that it was obvious to all who were, who were around him. You see, it doesn't matter how evil you are or have been. It doesn't matter what has happened in your life that's caused the circumstances that you are now in. Jesus can transform your life. 
He may not transform your circumstances. One of the things that Jerry Vine said that I didn't read earlier, he said, you need to keep in mind the context of this particular scripture. Chapter 4 is about Jesus calming the storm on the sea. We looked at that last Sunday. Now the Lord's calming a storm in the human heart. And let me ask you, which is the greater miracle? Jesus calming a physical storm on the sea where he rebukes the winds and the waves and they obey and, and cease and the sea is calm? Or when he gives his children peace and calm in the midst of the storm? Which is the greatest miracle? I would believe the latter. That while the storm is raging, while the circumstances are still going on because you have encountered Christ, you see the circumstances don't have to change for you to have a transformation in your life. But see, that's what we think. And that's not always the case. Sometimes Jesus does it that way, but many times he doesn't. What happened to this man was so radical. I want you to see how it changed him. Three things after uh, we talked about his changed life. Now I want you to notice three more things. First of all, his life was opened up to Christ. You know, sometimes what sin and evil does to us is it closes us down. It sh we, sh we, we shut ourselves off from God because of guilt and shame. You know, it's the devil that, that tempts us to commit evil. Now, he's not responsible for us committing the sin, but he certainly is there to tempt us to do it. And he makes it look so good and so favorable and so enticing, so irresistible, and we commit that sin, we, we, we do it. And then he's the one that turns around and loads on the guilt and the shame. God can't love you now. God doesn't want anything to do with you now. He won't forgive you. You might as well not go back and ask. In fact, you might as well just keep committing more sins. Now, I know I'm not the only one that hears those voices. I'm not the only one that hears the guilt and the shame when you sin. But he piles it on. And then we tend to isolate ourselves from God. What did Adam and Eve do when they bit the fruit? They hid. What do you do when you bite the fruit? Don't you hide? Don't you run? And God says, God doesn't want us to run from him. He wants us to run to him. And here's a man who would encounter Jesus Christ. He even told Jesus up front, don't torment me. I don't want anything to do with you. That's the power of evil. We don't want anything to do with Christ. When we're so involved in sin, we don't want anything to do with Christ. Some of you are like that today. You're here, and it's not an accident that you're here, but you're enslaved to something. And you don't want really anything to do with God. And you've, you've been walking a guilty distance. You know He's there, and, and maybe you've been saved, but you're just not in fellowship with Him. You see, that's the nature of sin. That's the nature of evil. It keeps you isolated. He said, I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. That's the way some of you are living today. But this man had been so radically changed, his life was now wide open. Notice what the Bible says in verse 15. The surrounding community came to see Jesus, and they saw the one who had been, past tense, demon-possessed, and had the legion, past tense. Now he's sitting, and he's clothed, and he's in his right mind. You see, a life that's been transformed by Jesus is open to him now. You see, you don't think right now that Jesus can change your situation, but if you will ask him to, and if you will surrender to him, he will change your life. 
and He will give you an open heart. See, your heart now, many people's hearts are closed to Him. I mean, let me ask you this question. If you, if you say, well, my heart's not really closed, have you read the Scriptures this week? Have you talked to God intentionally this week other than just flare prayers? Lord, let that light turn green. Lord, if that guy cuts me off one more time, I swear to God I'm going to hurt somebody. Those aren't praying. That's not praying. That's not what I'm talking about. Lord, let me get this job. Help me get my bills paid. I mean, though, yeah, those are flare prayers. I'm talking about when's the last time you really spent time with God? Just loving God, just being with God, being open to Him. See, that's what a life transformed looks like. You see, this new life this man had was brand new to him. He wanted to know more about this man that had changed his life, that had given him newness and freshness that he had never known before. All he had known was death and pain and suffering and sorrow. Now he has, he's experiencing joy and he can't explain it. Freedom! And he doesn't know where it came from. He used to be bound with shackles and chains and, and he, now he's having this freedom. Where, how did I get, he wants to know more. You see, a life that's transformed by Christ wants to know more about Christ. It says he was seated, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. We find the same picture in the Old Testament. It said David sat before the Lord. And the Bible says of David, he was a man how? What was the description? He was a man what? After God's own heart. I know some of you use that phrase about your grandchildren. How many of you use it about your children? But you, you oh, look, that little thing is just... He's, he's after, bless his heart, he's, he's just a little baby after my own heart. I just love him so much. I, I don't have any yet, so I'm mocking you right now. But one day I'm going to have some. <laughs> and I won't be mocking you, I'll be mocking me too. But uh, bless his heart, bless her heart. Oh, there's, right, I, you know, David, God called David a man after his own heart. Why? Because David spent time with God. He felt the love that God had for him. Some of you aren't experiencing the love of God. You say, well, I know God loves me, you know. Everybody knows that. But you're not experiencing the love of God. Because you're not spending time with Him. You know, it takes time. This man was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha and Mary, sisters. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Loved them. But Martha said... He, Jesus said of Mary, she's chosen the best part. And what was Mary doing? She was sitting, listening to Jesus. Martha was busy. A lot of us are busy. We're too busy. You say, I'm too busy to read the Bible. Really? Well, no wonder your life's in shambles. I'm too busy to pray. Well, no wonder you're facing impossible situations. You're too busy not to pray. You're too busy not to spend time with God in His Word. Martha was busy. I get busy. I get busy doing the ministry. God has to put on the brakes sometimes and say, Stop! I, I'm, I don't want you to keep busy. I want you to stay before me a little bit longer. He is the most important person in this church. He is the most important person in your life. Not your spouse, not your grandchildren, not your children. He is, right? Where he's supposed to be. 
Once we're changed by Jesus, we'll, be, we'll have a longing to be with Him, to spend time with Him. After all, what is heaven? What is heaven? Isn't that with Him forever? He said, I go and prepare a place for you. Yeah, it's a place. He said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you, what? To myself. He didn't say, I'll receive you to that place. Oh, yeah, we'll be going to that place. But he said, I'll receive you to myself. Heaven is all about Jesus. It's the best part of heaven. I mean, gold's not going to be that big of a deal in heaven. You think it is now, but it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's going to be so common, they pave their streets with it. Pearls, some of you women love pearls. Spend lots of money on pearls. It ain't going to be that big of a deal. They make gates out of it in heaven. Because... What God is showing us in the book of Revelation, describing heaven, he's trying to say, there ain't nothing compares to the glory of the one who sits on the throne, Jesus. And if we make much of him here, we'll have so much more fun in heaven. But why would anybody want to die and go to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus, and they won't even crack his word while they're walking the face of the earth? They don't want, they don't want to spend time. They'll give him five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes on the way out the door. They don't want to spend time with him here. You see, a life transformed by Jesus wants to sit before him. Jesus can make that happen for you, and maybe that's your biggest struggle right now. Well, I love the Lord, and I love going to church, and I love God's people, but I, I really do struggle in that area, and I, I, I really need help with that, Brother Lee. That's what God's speaking to me about. Listen, Jesus can do that for you if you'll ask him. Won't you be honest with him? Won't you open up your heart? The Bible says, the Bible says in, in Psalm 62, 8, pour out your heart before the Lord. Don't hold anything back. Tell him everything. God, I'm having problems with this sin. It keeps, I keep doing it. I need help. God, I, for some reason, I, I lack a desire to read your word. Why? God, I'm, I'm saved. God, I, I struggle wanting to spend time with you in prayer. I don't understand that because I'm saved. Would you help me, God? Would you transform my life? Would you transform my desires and help me to want to? I'll give you a passage of Scripture that that's a biblical prayer. Pro, uh, Philippians. Well, I told you I was going to find it, but I didn't have it written down. It's in Philippians. Read the book. <laughs> it's a short book. You'll find it. It goes like this. I can quote it. I just can't tell you where it is. It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God that gives you the desire and the energy to do what he wants you to do. Thank you. Philippians 2.13, dear. My assistant pastor. She doesn't preach, except at home. Philippians 2.13, God is the one who gives you the desire to do what he wants you to do. He's the one that gives you the power to do what he wants you to do. Ask him for that. If you're trying to will it, you're going to lose every day. I know, I've tried. And I still try my own power, and I lose. But if you'll let him give you that desire, ask him for that desire, that's what this man had, a changed life. It opened him up to Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something else. It gave him, gave him an available life. Look at verse 18. And when he got into the boat, that is when Jesus got into the boat, the demon-possessed man, or the man who had been, past tense demon-possessed, begged Jesus 
that he might be with him. And Jesus said, no, you can't come with me. But go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. So not only was this demoniac man changed by the Lord and now open to him, he was available and he was ready to go. Wherever Jesus went, he wanted to go. Remember what he said when he was under the control of the demons in verse uh, early in this chapter? What, what am I to do with you, Jesus? Get, get away from me. Don't torment me. When he was under the influence of evil, he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Now that Jesus has changed his life, he can't, he don't want to leave Jesus aside. Total transformation. He made himself available. You see, a life that's been changed by Jesus is open to him and available to him. Are you available to him? Remember what Isaiah, and when Isaiah encountered the glorious presence of God, he confessed his sin. He saw the glory of God. It's holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The angels cried out. And, and Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He confessed his sin. He came clean before God and said the seraphim flew, touched his lips with a live coal and as a, as a token of his being cleansed and said, your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Let me tell you this. If you'll come to Christ confessing your sin, he'll purge your sin. He'll forgive you completely. The Bible promises that. You don't have to run from him. He says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you, purge you from all unrighteousness. No matter how many or how often, he'll cleanse you if you come confessing. And then Isaiah heard a voice in verse 8. It was the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah, after having come back to the Lord or after confessing his sins and being cleansed, he was available. Here I am. You know why we can't get enough people to serve in the church today? And I'm going I'm to hit our men. You know why we can't get enough deacons to get to, that will be willing to serve? Because there are too many men who are attached to evil. And they won't make themselves available to Christ. They're making themselves available to the things of the world, but they won't make themselves available to God. We, can, we have to scratch and claw to find Sunday school teachers, find people who will work with these children like we just baptized. We have to, we have to beg people to, to be obedient to the Word of God by serving and by giving their tithe. We shouldn't have to do that. Because a life that's been transformed by Jesus Christ is wide open, and so is his wallet, so is his life, so is his energy, so is everything. Transformation. Jesus transforms our life. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus make himself available to you? What if he had said, I'm going to pick and choose. That's what we do today, right? We're consumers. We pick and choose. Jesus said, all right, her, I'll die for her. I'm going to, I'm going to look at people I know so I don't hurt their feelings. Him, I ain't dying for him. Her, yeah, I'll die for her. And, and I'll die for him. 
No, 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 not him. Not him. Mm -mm, not going to die for him. Jesus didn't do that, did he? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever. The Bible says Christ died for all. He didn't pick and choose. He died for all. All can be saved. And yet sometimes we come to Christ and we say, Lord, I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven when I die, but I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it, here. First thing Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy own as it is. Hmm. Well, that proposes a problem. How is God's will done in heaven? Perfectly and immediately. You think that's what he wants for you and me? Hello. Available. Jesus made himself available. And one, this man was so radically changed. He said, Lord, let me go with you. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, he must, what's the next word? Deny himself. Take up his cross. What's the next word? No, what's the next word? Take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross. What does that mean? That doesn't mean the problem you have. It means, what was the cross? What, is, what does that cross represent to you? Death. When I look at that cross, I see the death of my Savior for me. He says, I want you to, that's, what I want, that's what I want you to do. I want you to take up your cross. I want you to die to you so you can live for me. Read Romans 6. That's what Romans 6 is all about. I've been crucified. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I become available to him. And lastly, this man was so radically changed he became obedient to Christ. Jesus said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. This man wanted to go with Jesus. Wherever he went, but Jesus gave him a command. No, stay and go to your own home, your own city, and you declare what God has done. You demonstrate that changed life before your own people. This is not what the man wanted to do. That's not the answer he wanted to hear. He wanted to go, but Jesus said, stay. So what did he do? He went home pouting and kicking the dust and complaining that God never lets him do what he wants to do. That's not what he did. He went his way, and he did exactly as Jesus told him. He published throughout the whole Decapolis. What was the Decapolis? That's a Greek word. It simply means ten cities. It was a group of ten cities on the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire and south. It was actually east of Israel. The cities were grouped together because of their language and their culture and their location and their political status. Though sometimes described as a league of cities, it's now believed that they were formally organized as a political unit and the Decapolis was the center, the center of Greek and Roman culture. So Jesus was intentional. He said, yeah, you can come. He, I, I think this was going through Jesus' mind. He knew all things. Yeah, you can come with me. I've got 12 guys. You'd be number 13. Uh, and we're going to go to a limited area right here in, in this small little country called 
Israel, but I want you. By the way, interesting point here. It hit me this morning. If you were going to pick somebody from this church to be this church's missionary, who would you pick? I don't name names. Some of you are thinking, well, I'd like to get rid of them. Let's send them. <laughs> Y'all didn't know I could read minds, did you? You probably wouldn't have picked this man. This man lived in the cemetery. This man was a wild man. Possessed by 2,000 or more demons. No. But if you go back and look at the scriptures, you'll see that this was the first missionary ever sent out by Christ. And some of you are giving excuses. I can't do that. You don't, God, doesn't, God, God knows what I've done. I can't start telling people about Jesus. I don't have a great testimony. I've lived a horrible life or I've lived a perfectly clean life. I just can't do it. You know what? It doesn't matter what you've done, haven't done. If you have been transformed by Jesus Christ, you have the perfect testimony. What did Jesus tell this man to do? He didn't say, go buy a whole pack of tracks and start spreading them around. Now, that's not a bad thing I do that. <laughs> he didn't say, make sure you memorize the Gospel of John forward and backwards in the Roman road and EE and CWT and, and all that stuff, which I've been through all of that, all of that. I'm not knocking it. I think people need to be trained and have an understanding of how to share the gospel, but that's not what Jesus told them to do. He didn't say, go to seminary, become a preacher. Interesting what he told them to do. He told them to do what every one of you can do. Go home and demonstrate and tell of the mighty things God's done for you. In ten cities... Ten cities. Go back to the Decapolis. This was Christ's first missionary. Before he sent out the twelve, and before he sent out the seventy, this was the first person Jesus sent out. Amazing. You have no excuse. You have to be obedient. It doesn't matter what you want to do. This man wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus said, no, you can't go with me. You must go to the Decapolis. He was obedient. Listen, well, you may not want to tell people about Jesus. You may not want to tell the great things God has done for you. But you know, if you've been changed by Christ, we, we demonstrate a changed life by the way we live and act and walk and talk, places we go, things we do. But we also must speak of the power of Jesus Christ. We must speak of the wonderful things God has done for us. Just giving your testimony, what God's been doing in your life lately, how He changed your life. It's a great testimony. It's a great witness. And that's what He told this man to do. And it was in a very strategic way place. This man lived on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that was the borders of the Roman and Greek Empire. Well, the Roman Empire, they were also occupying Israel at the time. But at those ten cities where Greek and Roman culture wed. And this man went back and was first Christ's first missionary. And I want to go back one day and find out it's probably somewhere in tradition. Josephus may have wrote about this. I'm not sure. What difference that one man made in those ten cities? Because I have no doubt, as the scripture says, and he departed and he did exactly what Jesus told him to do. No doubt people were saved. No doubt people also experienced the transforming power 
of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what Jesus wants you to understand. Whatever you need to happen in your life, if you'll just add Jesus to it, if you'll make Jesus a part of your life, and I don't mean a part of your life, that sounds so not right. He wants to be all of your life. He doesn't want to be one segment of your life. He wants, he wants to become everything. And if you'll surrender your heart and your will and your life to Him, He possesses the power that will transform your life. He'll give you a new life. Some of you here today need to be saved. You need to be forgiven of your sin. You're walking around in guilt and shame, and, and, and you're, you're, you're headed for hell. That's the bad news, but the good news is you don't have to. You can, you can come to Christ. He will forgive your sin. He will save you because He loves you and He died for you. You must ask Him. He will save you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. Say, it can't be that simple. Yes, it is. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works. He wants you to receive His gift. And some of you have accepted that gift, but there's something in your life, some impossible situation that you need transforming, the transforming power of God or the transforming grace of God to change you on the inside to be able to live with the unchanging circumstances around you. He wants to transform your life so much that you open everything up to Him, where you become completely, 100% available, where you don't cut off any part from Him. You keep it all open and available, and you say to Him, Lord, I'll obey you. I may not want to. I may, not, I may be afraid to. I may not even understand where this is going to take me, but I want to be like this man. Jesus can make you the person you want to be, and he can make you the person he wants you to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we...